Welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Network and Edge Solutions Group. Hello and welcome to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. Brought to you by the Intel Network and Edge Solutions Group. In this episode, we're going to explore the topic of next generation digital workflows. I'm your host, Alex Flores, Head of Global Solutions at Intel Corporation. Today, I'm excited to be joined by William Codwell, MD, MBA, and CEO and Chairman of Savia Health. Welcome, Will. Before we jump into questions, would you mind taking a few minutes and introduce yourself? Love to. It's great to see you, Alex, and thanks for having me. Um, so I'm a, I'm a dad. I'm a doc. I've been a CIN director, um, still doing all of the above, and most recently, I'm a CEO of a, a health technology corporation. And so uh, I've been in healthcare for about 23 years, practicing medicine and still practice and operate uh, every month and um, am uh, enjoying life, certainly. Um, it, all this either means I'm really, it doesn't mean I'm, I'm brilliant. It means that I'm old, that I've, I've done all this stuff. Thank you, Will. You practiced medicine for several years. Can you share some of the biggest opportunities you saw for technology to transform how clinicians deliver care? Yeah, I mean, I think, how can technology, how can we use technology to scale our impact, right? So um, I'll often say concierge care for the masses. And we live in a, you know, an age where we talk a lot about health equity. We talk a lot about access to care. And the question is um, how, in fact, I'll go back and um, we used to, I had a, a friend, Paul Farmer, recently passed away. He was uh, partners in health, and we used to talk about this. And I, I told him one night. I said he was sitting, and I said, I "said Paul, we've got to start treating patients like commodities." And he looked at me. He said, "I thought he was going to bite my head off because it sounds like a terrible thing to say." But, but what I mean by that is we treat patients like luxury items. Right? Some get a certain treatment option, others get a certain workup, and others don't. And I think that's led to lots of inequities in healthcare. And so the real question is, how can we use technology to scale our impact and, and, and break down some of those healthcare inequities? I think, two, um, we've got to redefine what technology means. You know, in my 23 years, when even now, if you go to a lot of physicians and providers and say, what, you know, do you like your technology? They almost always say no. And it's because they equate their technology with this transition to an electronic health record that we've all gone through. And, you know, I would argue it's not all bad. In fact, it's very good. It had to happen. But I think a lot of physicians and a lot of providers still associate technology with adding work to our workflow, not making it easier to take uh, the best care of patients. And then three, and lastly, you know, providers want to do the right thing. And what we've built in the United States, particularly around documentation, is a way to document and build. And what we haven't done a great job of is helping me, the doc, do the right thing to take care of the patient, provide, provide the, the information I need to provide the very best care, very best practice for the patient sitting in front of me. And I think um, implementing those best practices um, and using technology to scale that are, are you know, huge opportunities in healthcare that haven't yet been met. Well, you bring up a really good point um, in regards to technology. And a lot of times, you know, you've mentioned this, um, you know, when I talk to different clinicians, the first thing they say is they don't need another dashboard. 
And oftentimes they associate technology with that. So like you were saying, a lot of times it actually encumbers the clinician. Can you talk a little bit more on how some of your experiences on how technology has actually eased some of that burden for you so you could really focus on your patients? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll get, let me start in the other, the other direction first. I mean, you know, when we first started meeting meaningful use requirements and using technology to document correctly, uh, I was a head and neck surgeon, still am, but I was seeing patients with head and neck cancer among other things. And the, the documentation I had to do in order to meet meaningful use were diastolic blood pressure assessment. Now, I don't do a lot with diastolic blood pressures. I don't do a lot with systolic blood pressures, but the point being that, you know, I was forced to click a box. I was forced to enter and document a piece of, of data that really didn't help me in taking care of the patient. And so um, I think, you know, the, the challenge we have and we talk about technology to date, most healthcare technology has focused on documentation and billing, but it's also focused on data analytics and data aggregation. And what we're missing is the middle part. So I can, we have lots of best practices out there. We have lots of data. Um, we know what our goals are, whether it be around cost or quality. The problem is we don't have a, a path to get from point A to point B. We don't have a good piece of technology that can fill in that gap, right? That can actually create that process to, to do what we want to do. I mean, I ran a, a large clinically integrated network and how did we try and incentivize or change outcomes for patients? We, we used a carrot or a stick for the clinicians. Um, we said, Hey, you've got to do better. Dang it. And beat them over the head with, with data. Um, we didn't really enable them. We didn't really give them a tool to do the right thing. And in my experience, you know, docs aren't anti-technology. I think docs love technology. I think what docs are anti are doing things that don't help us take care of patients. And if we can create something that fills that gap, that not only tells us we're doing something wrong, and not only tells us how well we're doing against a metric, but helps us go from point A to point B, that's been the missing piece in healthcare. Wonderful insights, Will. Can you expand on digital workflows and how this is different than other data analytics tools that are currently being used in healthcare? Yeah, sure. I mean, well, first of all, it's not really data analytics, right? It's, it's a process generator. So in healthcare, we've got all sorts of processes, clinical and, and operational processes. And so it's less about analyzing the data and more about how do you create that process of getting you from point A to point B. You know, when I was running a clinically integrated network, we had several thousand physicians and providers in that network. And we came up with some really, really good clinical pathways. We probably did in uh, two and a half years, we probably um, did 35 or 40 really good clinical pathways that we published. And what would I do? I would take those and I would attach them to an email and I would send it out to all the physicians in the, in the clinically integrated network. And we would say, this is how we're going to take care of sepsis or acute coronary syndrome or osteoporosis. And the problem is nobody read them. And even if they read them, they didn't have access to them when they're taking care of that patient at two in the morning or in their office on a busy day. And so it's almost like, <clears throat> is the textbook right? Well, okay, yeah, let's, let's assume the textbook's right, but you, you don't take a textbook from room to room with you. 
to, to help you take care of patients. In much the same way, you don't take clinical pathways from room to room, certainly not as a PDF file. And so, you know, what we're trying to do and what I think is critically important is that we not only create the content, but we provide the content to the clinician, to the person taking care of the patient in real time at the point of care. We make it usable. So we facilitate clinicians doing the right thing. We're not telling them what to do, right? We're just facilitating, helping them to do the right thing. And to date, that's been a real challenge. Um, and so the more we can, the more we can take that process and this great data and all this great work that's been done and actually present it to the clinician within their workflow, uh, the, the more successful we're going to be. And, and what does success look like? Well, you know, the, the, the user defines that, but I would argue better outcomes for patients, um, better, uh, enjoyment of the job for clinicians, right? Um, uh, lower cost of care. I mean, it can be any number of things. Um, but to date, we've really not had something that has helped facilitate that process for, for clinicians to really just do the right thing, which is what everybody wants to do anyway. Well, how do you at Savia view data and how can it be better used to help impact patient outcomes? Yeah, Lord knows we've got tons and tons of data. Um, I was talking to a group of um, CIOs, maybe some CTOs, and I said, um, okay, all of you have an enterprise data warehouse of some sort. They all nodded. And I said, how, how, what percentage of the data that you bring into that EDW do you actually use? They kind of scratched their head. And so we actually looked at that. It's, a, it's between 4 and 6% of the data that's ingested into an EDW by a health system is actually used for some purpose. Um, that means 94% of it's not. And so I think... Um, the traditional approach has been, let's get as much data as we can into one place. Let's, let's just get data for the sake of having it. And then let's mine that data and look for opportunities to improve care or reduce cost or whatever. And that's incredibly inefficient. And so what, what we do is we start at the end and we say, okay, what's the, what's the problem to be addressed? So if the problem is, how do we take better care of the diabetic patient? And we say, great, let's define what better care for diabetes looks like. And then let's take all the best practices that we have out there and let's create a process to achieve that goal. Once the process is created, then you back up and say, what's the data that informs that process? And so if you look at most clinical practice modules, um, you can identify discrete data and it could range anywhere from, say, 20 to maybe 120 or 150 discrete bits of data that drive pretty much all clinical processes in healthcare. And then you go get it and you figure out how to integrate it um, into, into that uh, piece of technology. So it's a totally different way of doing it. Rather than starting with a bunch of data and looking for opportunity, you're identifying the opportunity and then you're creating a process or a pathway. And then you're asking yourself, what data do I need to make this pathway work. And I think that's the way it should be done. Well, uh, you bring up some excellent points around data and specifically around, um, you know, creating the pathway and the process uh, for data. Wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you're in that, um, you know, looking at the data and so forth, how much of that data needs to be analyzed real time um, when it's captured, you know, 
at the device or near the device or, you know, on-prem in the hospital versus um, being stored and processed later on the cloud? Well, I think, I think the, the approach that most of us have taken has been retrospective and, and descriptive. Um, and, and even using kind of a retrospective view of data, you can even create, you know, prospective um, uh, insights. But I think when you start looking at actually taking care of patients at the bedside, a lot of it has to be real time. A lot of it has to be real time. And so I think that's one of the reasons you haven't seen uh, a great clinical decision support option in the marketplace, because it's really challenging um, to have real time data flowing and, and bi-directional data flowing. But, but again, back to your other question, one of the things that makes that really challenging is if it's a massive amount of data, if you can limit your data pull or your data push to only that data that matters to achieve whatever the goal is and fulfill whatever the process requirements are, then I think it's much more manageable. And so you have to just take it in bite-sized pieces. Um, but real-time data, I mean, it's absolutely imperative. And, uh, and I think, you know, I think we'll get there. These are all great points. Can you talk a little bit about how demographics, characteristics, and even past health data um, from a patient can be used into the clinical support system? Yeah, sure. So, and let me say this first, I think part of our challenge traditionally has been that, um, that we are trying to mine data on the back end. And when you do that, um, it's not all structured. So when you're dealing with unstructured data, it creates a lot of challenges on the back end to try to pull actionable data and, and, and incorporate it into a workflow. And so one of the things we think is incredibly important is to structure as much possible data as, as possible on the front end, rather than wait until uh, it's already in a note and you're trying to use some sort of word recognition software or NLP to, to, uh, to structure unstructured data, essentially. And so I think, I think that's, uh, that's incredibly important. I think, too, you know, so the question you asked was really what I would call non-traditional healthcare data. And to date, most of the data that I use uh, and have used and has been presented to me has been around uh, very traditional data, such as what are their medications? Do they have any allergies? What are their past medical history? Um, it hadn't included a lot of what we term social determinants of health. And so I think we've got to start thinking about data more broadly. Um, you know, I think the, the number that, that a lot of people cite is about 15% of what impacts your health outcome is something that happens in a traditional healthcare setting. So, you know, diagnosing a disease, uh, prescribing an antibiotic, you know, the rest, uh, for the most part, with the exception of things like genetics, the rest is around patient behavior. And a lot of patient behavior happens outside of the clinic, outside of the hospital. And so you can have the best pathway in the world, the best designed pathway in the world to achieve a good outcome for a patient with COPD. And if they don't do what you're asking them to do, if their behavior doesn't follow and you don't, they don't follow your recommendations, you're not going to achieve that outcome for that patient. So I think we've got to start thinking more broadly about where we get our data uh, and how that informs us. And, uh, you know, whether that's a, a, a behavioral health app, a direct-to-consumer, direct-to-patient app, 
uh, or whether that's a remote patient monitoring device for hypertension. Um, it's incredibly important. And I think if you think about the companies that are driving value in that space, and let's just take remote patient monitoring for hypertension. If a patient comes in to see me and they have an elevated blood pressure, and let's say it's 165 over 80. So it's not super high, but it's not normal. Am I going to diagnose them with hypertension? Probably not. Probably going to see them back. Well, a lot of data shows that if we can send them home with a device that monitors their blood pressure over a period of time, say a week, both day and night, then we can get a much more accurate picture of, of what their blood pressure is doing and make a more accurate diagnosis and then treat it accordingly. The problem is when I see that patient in the office, I may know that those companies are out there, but I've got to think about a specific company. I've got to say, oh, that person that came in and brought us lunch last week, or, well, let's, let's do that. I've got to actually, it's a destination as opposed to being nudged, right? So I'm not being prompted to consider that. I have to think about it too. Somebody in my office got to, has to enter all the patient data into a web portal somewhere for that particular company. And let's say they do that. Well, then the patient comes back to see me a month later and they want me to review their blood pressures. Well, guess what? It's not in the EMR. So I've got to bring it into the EMR. Now, how do we do that? Well, either myself or my assistant has to go back to that website, has to print out a sheet, has to scan that sheet to the EMR. And then I have to be notified of where it is in the EMR and bring it up to review it. So what do we do? We just don't do it. We just don't engage those solutions, even though we know that they're good and best for patients and, and very cost effective. And so what we need to do is create a process where we can nudge the doctor or the nurse or the or nurse practitioner or the caregiver to say, hey, you should consider home monitoring here. They hit a button and it's taken care of. Likewise, when the patient comes back in a month, that same data is then brought back and is presented in the workflow inside the clinical decision support tool. That's usable, right? And that doesn't make my life harder. Uh, it, it may not make it a whole lot easier, but it's what's right for the patient. And I'm not having to, to go to a destination or remember to do this or remember to check that or try to, Lord knows, scan, uh, scan pieces of paper into the EMR. It's, it's much more, it's much more uh, streamlined. And, there, and, and so it's going to be used. Um, so, you know, I think you've got to think about a broader, a broader data set uh, and be smart about what, what data you incorporate um, into your medical decision making. Well, well that, that's really insightful. And I, and I like how you were able to describe a lot of times the challenges that are happening today um, in regards to providing care, um, but also, you know, kind of projecting out and showing how there is a path, how there is a solution. Um, and, you know, now more than ever, I think, given where we are with technology and so forth and, and seeing some of the advancements that other industries have made over the years, whether it's, you know, banking, whether it's retail and so forth, um, you're seeing a lot of what I call uh, the consumerization of healthcare, where, um, you know, consumers, they really want to play more of an active role in healthcare. And they want to be able to um, kind of be in the driver's seat so they can understand not only, you know, where they are today, but where they may be in the future and how can they potentially make some changes to um, have better outcomes. 
And finally, before we wrap up, I would like to get your opinion on some of the technologies that you're excited about that will help transform care over the next decade. So the consumerization question is a good one. I was at a conference yesterday in Salt Lake City, and and um, and I actually I actually asked this. Um, so um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you have to ask yourself, what are we ultimately trying to achieve? Uh, well, first of all, not everybody I think wants to play a more active role in their health. Some do, some don't. Correct. Right. Uh, I'm not sure my 80 year old mom really wants to go research her you know, her condition and, and try to figure out the best treatment for it. I think she, she's much more comfortable with her physician. So, but I think you're right. I think in general, the trend is away from that. Um, and so what are we really trying to do by engaging the customer, engaging the patient? And I think what we're trying to do is impact behavior. So, you know, and if you accept that, if you say, how do we change patient behavior? Because again, you can create the best pathway in the world, which can tell me as the clinician exactly what's best for this patient. But if the patient doesn't do their part and doesn't go get the scan that I ordered, doesn't do the exercise I recommended, doesn't stop smoking, there's really not a whole lot we can do. We're, we're both going to fail. And I think in healthcare, we've got to redefine clinical decision support. So. And I'll give you an example. So a patient comes in with a neck mass and they, my traditional training is, oh, they need a CT scan soft tissue of the neck with contrast. So I wear that. Now, let's say that's embedded within a pathway that's being presented to me. Well, again, if they don't actually go get the CT scan, I guarantee you we're not going to be successful in managing that neck mass. So what, what, what's an alternative? So let's say the patient's sitting in front of me. So Alex, you're sitting in front of me and I tell you, we're going to get a CT scan. And I, and I order that because that's what the pathway recommends. Okay. And then it says, okay, based on Alex's social determinants, which we know drive behavior, Alex has a 30% chance of going to get a CT scan. Here are the following four things that you can do, which will increase the likelihood of compliance with that order to 88%. And, and we'll use my mom as an example. I mean, if I were to order a CT scan on my mom, she'd be worried about radiation dose. Uh, she'd be worried about whether Medicare Advantage covered it. She might be worried about transportation. She might be worried about exposure to COVID in a healthcare set. I, you know, um, if, if you, on the other hand, if a younger person, um, if I recommended a CT, well, what would be a driver that would make you not get the CT? Maybe you don't understand why you need it. Um, maybe you don't understand, you get the point. And so I think if, if, if we, if we stop thinking about clinical decision support as being, you need to order a CT scan and change it to, you need to order a CT scan and provide education, provide transportation, provide financial advice, right? Then I think we're really going to, going to make a dent, particularly in chronic disease. And I, th I think that's a huge opportunity. The second thing I would say is we've got to redefine how we think about behavioral health. So behavioral health traditionally has been psychiatry, psychology, um, depression, anxiety. And I think that that's still and always will be a component of behavioral health. But I would argue that when you're looking at patient behavior, behavioral health should really include anything that drives a person's decision that ultimately impacts their health.
right? And what does that mean? Well, that means that it's not just if they're depressed or anxious, but also if, if they don't have, they choose not to go to an appointment because they don't have transportation, right? That's a, a, a very traditional social determinant that we all talk about. And so now you're back to redefining clinical decision support, redefining behavioral health. But again, it's all pointed towards how do we change patient behavior? Because we, we know what the right things to do are. Um, we just need to put a process in place that can help physicians not only leverage the best practices and knowledge that we all have and the data we have, but also help us advise patients in a way that can change behavior and, and help them be compliant with recommended therapies. I think that's a huge opportunity going forward in healthcare. Thank you, Will. And, and, and thank you for really kind of opening my eyes. I, I've never realized how much patient behavior, um, you know, can impact different outcomes for individuals. That, that to me, is, is very fascinating. Um, you know, again, these are, you know, all great conversation points. And I want to thank you again, Will, uh, for being on the podcast. How does someone get in contact with you? Yeah, so we're uh, Sevilla Health. Um, we have uh, a we our website, and then um, they're welcome to give me a ring. And so I'd love to chat about this. Um, I don't know the best way to make that happen, Alex. Probably, um, most likely LinkedIn, right? I imagine they can um, have you yeah. look you up at LinkedIn and then go from there. That's a great, great suggestion. And, and, I, and I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and would love to chat with you. And um, um, I'd love to hear, uh, hear folks' thoughts. That's how I learn. But I think um, it's an exciting time to be in healthcare. And it's an exciting time to, uh, and to be in technology. And when you bring the two together, I think we can do some amazing things. And uh, it's gonna, I'm glad I have a few years left to, uh, to see where we end up with all of this because it's, it's going uh, to be a fun ride for sure. I want to thank our audience for tuning in to Health and Life Sciences at the Edge, where we talk about modern challenges and future solutions. To watch the full episode, follow us on Health and Life Sciences at the Edge and subscribe at Apple, Google, or Spotify. Thank you.